0: All right, well, we are in second Peter chapter two. Most of you know this morning, we're going to be covering the rest of second Peter two. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand real high and Caleb and the guys will be happy to let you borrow a Bible so you can follow with us. Again, it's second Peter towards the back of your Bibles chapter two. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 22 this morning, finishing out the chapter. I entitled our message, The Danger of False Teachers. So, guys see what I did? I I don't want to have to end with praying or thanking Rob and then segue into talking about false (laughs) teachers. All right. Second Peter 2, again, 12 through 22. Uh, Would you stand with me, please? We won't read all of these verses that we stand, but... I'll just give us a running start. We'll go from 12 to 14 because even those three verses are pretty long and lengthy and they have, they have a lot of meat to them. Peter, of course, writing these words for us, he says in verse 12, but these, we'll talk about who they are. These are like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of things they do not understand. And Peter once again tells us their end, they will utterly perish in their own corruption and they will receive the wages of unrighteousness as though who count it pleasure to carouse. Your Bible might even say revel in the daytime. Peter says they are spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery And that cannot cease from sin. Enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices. And they are cursed children. There's some heavy words that Peter has there. Uh, We'll pause there. We'll pray. And then we will unpack these verses together. Father, thank you again for the day. Lord, we thank you for your spirit that leads us into your truth that comforts us in our trials that provides a peace that surpasses understanding wisdom that we need um, a way of escape of our temptations Lord, we thank you for all that your spirit does in and through our lives. And Lord, we thank you for how your spirit will teach us as we read these words, difficult in some capacity, But Lord, we ask that you would help us to understand and not just understand, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to apply these truths. That as we leave today through that uh, sliding door and out the building, God, that we would be different and that you do a work. We thank you for all that you're going to do, all that you've done. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 We take a moment, greet a neighbor, say hello to somebody new, and then you can have a seat. Well, if you were with us last Sunday, or you're familiar with the book of 2nd Peter, you may know, or you may recall that Peter uh, writes really with a, a very pastoral heart. Uh, Jesus had commissioned him to be his under shepherd, and he took that very serious. And so he, he writes with a shepherd's heart. He wants to, as we mentioned, he wants to prepare but also protect God's flock. And we talked about how Peter really, as an extension of God working through Peter, doesn't want his readers, doesn't want you and I, even as we read this today, that we would get spiritually swindled. Uh, he, he doesn't want us to be duped by what he calls a uh, destructive, you know, damaging deception that we would, um, you know be fished, if you will, um, by these false teachers. And so what what happens in this letter? It's just three chapters. We've been taking our time to go through as we normally do, systematically, just chapter by chapter, and verse by verse, and line by line, sometimes just word by word. But he but he opens in chapter one really with with a high in the sense all that is good, all that is true about who God is, who Jesus is. And, and what he has done for us and then who we are in the Lord. And and he sets a foundation and it's important. And he even says, I, I'm happy to remind you of the, these things. I'll continue to remind you of these things. As long as I have breath, I can look you in the eyeballs. I'm going to just, uh, this is the, the, the drum that I'm going to beat, so to speak. And he says, and even after I'm gone, I, I want to make sure that these are things that we don't forget. And hence, you know, we have Preserved for us his words that continue to remind us through, uh, you know, the centuries. And so he wants to remind us and encourage us of these wonderful truths. And we talked about him in detail that, that God has called you and me to himself. And and as such, he's placed his spirit inside of us. Um, Paul says, because of that, we we have this dynamic relationship that we can even call God, our father. We can even be really intimate and call him Abba, Daddy, Papa. And so we have this new relationship with the Lord. He's given us his spirit. He also told us that we're the family of God. Not only are we called to a new relationship with God, but we're called to a new relationship with each other. And nobody's called to be a lone ranger in the Christian faith. And we're placed in this thing, this beautiful, wonderful, wonky thing called the body of Christ with all of our quirks and personalities, different shapes and shades. And yet this beautiful kaleidoscope of the body of Christ called the church and that's a gift that God's given us. And we're also then told that we have the word of God. And Peter talked about his, his own experience, uh, that the things that he says, they're valid, they're true. Uh, people knew that, people knew his testimony, but then he goes on to say, but even more than that, we have the word made sure. In the sense that we have the word of God. And so these gifts that God has given us, these foundational things, we have the spirit of God, we have the family of God, uh, we have the word of God and, and Peter essentially says, we will do well if we anchor ourselves in that immerse ourselves in that these godly gifts that he's given us. And so that's chapter one, as we get to chapter two, he then seeks to warn and equip us. And he reminds us in one sense that uh, we're in a spiritual battle. Um, and, and he identifies the tactic of the enemy Uh, And and one of those tactics, big tactic is lies and misinformation. Uh, The enemy of your soul will uh, gladly use propaganda. Will gladly use empty promises to get you and me to move and to depart from God's truth. And as we depart from God's truth, often what follows is we depart from God's family. And what often follows is then we are uh, quenching the Holy Spirit. And so he told us just as God had real prophets and there's a real Jesus and uh, and there's a real gospel, the enemy sows false prophets with the false Jesus and a false gospel uh, and false teachers that promote these lies. And so chapter two, as we studied in the last two weeks, along with, Chaplain Wayne from verses one through 11. It basically Peters uh, for you military folks. It's, it's his operational spiritual safety brief. He's providing a profile of what to be aware of. He's giving character traits and behavior traits. Uh, He's listing tactics that the false teachers operate by. And he encouraged us along the way that we don't have to be disheartened by that, that we want to be discerning, but we don't want to be disheartened because the fact is that God who knows all these things has promised a righteous judgment on all of these individuals. And so, although you might see them and think, man, they're getting away with this. How can that be? God says, no, their day will come. And in the end, he will uh, cast judgment on them But for us, who know, the Lord, we will be delivered from these persuasions of evil, from the pervasiveness of immorality, which that's a world that we live in. Um, So God promises, he knows how to deliver us. But in the meantime, what do we do? We, we develop discernment. We cultivate a healthy spiritual perception. And so Peter's letting us know these things and it's not meant to be a downer, right? We, we can absolutely experience life abundant, enjoy what God has given us the gift of life and the gift of friendships and the gift of Okinawa and Okinawa Soba and you know, all, all that uh, God has given us and that we don't have to walk around uh, constantly afraid uh, or uh, a perpetual skeptic of people that that's not the lane that we, you know, we walk in. My daughter, when she was younger, uh, Rebecca, when she was a toddler, um, there's only certain people she'd go to. And when she cling to them, if you came up and, and, and she didn't really know you, or even if she knew you, that's the thing about my daughter at that time. And you try to reach for her, she'd side eye you, you know, she kind of give you the stink eye. And I'd be like, Hey, don't be like that. And she'd like frown and, Mad dog people, and um, you know she's not like that anymore. But but her default, her default was just stranger danger, or right in the Japanese, it was like hen no ojisan. Everybody was hen no ojisan. You know, like um, everybody she met. Uh, gang, we 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 don't have to live like that. We don't have to live with the critical side eye uh, of everyone. But certainly we want to have wisdom and discernment, especially when it comes to the truth of God's word and the things that people are teaching us, the things that we see in social media, uh, the popularity uh, of various ministries. You know, our, our best guard is really to be grounded in, in the word of God. And, and that's really the theme of all of second Peter, hence the series, you know, the title of our series that how do, how do we guard ourselves against these things? Well, we, we ground ourselves in the word of God, let our roots Grow down deep, but we want to continue to grow, right? Grow in the spirit and grow in the knowledge and the grace of Jesus through the word of God. And so Peter in in these verses continues now, verses 12 through 22, this this spiritual safety brief, if you will. And and by the way, let let me just set this up. There's not a lot of imperatives here. Uh, There's not a lot of action verbs. He, He isn't necessarily directing us his audience to do something just yet chapter three, that'll come. And so we'll have our verbs and our directives uh, come chapter three. But at this point, he's just, he's just giving us declaratives. They're descriptions of the false teachers and their deceptive lures, their depraved lives. And so, what underlines all of this or undergirds all of this for us, it, there is an application there. And the application really is to be informed. That's the baseline. Be informed, pay attention. As the saying goes uh, to be forewarned is to be forearmed. And that's what Peter wants to do for us. So verse 12, he says, but these like natural brute beast call, excuse me, made to be caught and destroyed speak evil of the things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption. A lot of what Peter is going to say is a a continuation and amplification of what he's already described for us in verses one through 11, but we want to keep context. So when he talks about, but these I estimate to you that these are the false teachers that he's been talking about. That's the subject who unlike the angels back in verse 11 who operate in knowledge, who operate in constraint, these false teachers, as he describes them with this metaphor, are the opposite. He likens them to wild, untamed animals. That they are not guided by constraint. They're not um, guided by reason or rational thinking, but rather like wild animals it's just purely instinct. They're just acting upon the, these sinful passions and pleasures. Again, my, my translation, I, I read and study from the New King James mostly, he, he describes them as brute beasts. And the idea there is again, untamed, wild, unharnessed, dangerous animals. That they're ignorant, they're impulsive. And and they just follow their uh, unredeemed depravity. And that's quite the descriptor. I mean, Peter isn't, uh, you know, sugarcoating anything for us here. He's describing a group of people who appear on on one sense to be regular dudes. We'd see them and say that, that, yeah, that, that, that Vato looks like anybody else. They even have a spirituality about them outwardly. They know the lingo, they can speak certain things, but but to take a, a slightly closer look, at, it their lifestyle and their values are in complete contrast to God. Complete contrast to the scriptures. He, he's describing the, this group who have embraced, endorsed, promote the deception of sin. And, and as such, they, they've lost, if you will, this, even this sense of, of reasonability, of rationale. And, and there's a part of me that understands that, you know, I, uh, over the years, especially when we have our men's retreats and men's studies. And one of the studies that I, I often gravitate back to, cause I think it just speaks so appropriately, for us, I mean, for everybody, especially for men. So we look at King David as he's on the rooftop. God has blessed him. He has position. He has money. He has power. You know, he has rank. He he has all the things that God's blessed him with. And yet he's on the rooftop and he sees this uh, beautiful married woman across the way who, you know, she's doing her thing and she's taking a bath and, and, and he stares and that staring turns into lusting. That lusting turns into scheming. And, and, and over the years I, that for me, that message is just sin makes us stupid. Sin makes us stupid because we would say David knew better. And yet his sinful, lustful desire basically throws out sensibility and reasonability and rationale. He just kind of dumps it, right? Throws it off to the side. Even when uh, another brother comes and says, Hey man, no, that's boo-boo. Don't go that way. Uh, she's married. In fact, she's married to one of your dudes. Don't do that. And yet he pushes that aside. I mean, I, I, I have seen, and not to that level, but I understand the stupidity that our sinful desires can bring us into people. People do the foolish things. They make the worst trades because of sin. And, And, and for David, we know the story, right? His lust caused him then to scheme very evil things. He plots a murder, tries to cover up his sin? Of course, the Bible's very clear, right? We don't want to be foolish, don't be deceived. Our sin will find us out. But can you imagine a person that's living in that state constantly? Just operating by the lust of their flesh, operating in this way, like just all they're wanting to satisfy the, the instinct of their fleshly appetite? I mean, that is a mind that's given over to carnality and often irrationality, unreasonableness. And they, and they refuse to even consider what God's word has to say. They even refuse to consider as David did in that moment when, when someone came and tried to bring them truth, acknowledged it yet dismissed it. And so Peter Describing these, the, these false teachers says they, they speak evil of things they don't understand. They're like these wild animals, just going after whatever they want, willfully ignorant, and espoused in fiction as truth. And so, w- what's a descriptor for us? So we add to the list that we began from last week. False teachers often have this character, we can distinguish them because they reject reason, they're not sensible. And in the in the place of scripture, they teach their own opinion and, and really have adopted a the, a corrupted cultural ideology and they, they and that's what they promote as fact and that's a mouthful. Do I have that point Do we list it up They often reject reason, they teach opinion and uh well, oh, that's tiny you need like uh you know, man uh, Now we see this all the time, uh, especially with, you know, so many social media platforms. There are people who promote lies on purpose and, and people who, another group of people who blindly accept those lies. Uh, don't seek to find out if it's true or not. Just hear it. It's, it's sensational, scandalized, you know, scandalous and they accept the lie and then they, then they perpetuate the lie and on and on it goes. And so we would do well, as Peter is describing this, you know, for us to pay attention, be careful because there are bad actors, if you will, there there are, there are uh, spiritual influencers who don't have God's, word or heart and, and yet they are a, a brand of of teacher that's in Christian circles, they connected to the church, and, and what Peter's saying is they masquerade those ministers. Because really they're just they're promoting carnality, they're perpetuating sin. And, and all the while as he describes them as brute beasts, completely ignorant. Ignorant of what? Ignorant of the fact that God is going to bring judgment on them. Paul essentially says the same thing that Peter says. He writes to the Colossians. He says, don't let anyone who delights in false humility, and then specifically talks about the worship of angels. He says, don't let them cheat you or defraud you or disqualify you. Such a person goes into great detail about the things they've seen. A lot of false cults are like this. They're puffed up with idle notions in their unspiritual mind. Colossians 2.18. And so we're told again, they're like natural brute beasts, wild animals. They'll receive the wages of their unrighteousness as those verse 13 count pleasure, count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime, their spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you. Ba- back in <laughs> chapter one, verse four, Peter told us amazing fact that you and I, as children of God, we, we have we have a new nature, a divine nature. We have divine power, and along with that, we have escaped the corruption of the world. And God, as we mentioned in the beginning, placed His Spirit inside of you, and it's that then that makes you and I incorruptible. And one day, we're going to realize that promise, right? Where the the mortal will be replaced by the immortal, where the corruptible, this flesh. Paul calls it our tent. We're going to pack it up forever and we're going to get a brand new model. Praise the Lord. I'm going to have hair. I'm going to be six, five. <laughs> right? We are preserved and we are reserved for eternity. The Holy Spirit seals us, guarantees us. Uh, we're like spiritual pickle juice or kimchi, right? We're fermented in our faith. That's a, but that's not what awaits these false teachers. That's not their end. They they have not escaped corruption. In fact, Peter does a play on words. They're, they're corrupted by their own corruption, That in their corrupted views, in their corrupted ways, they're just corrupting themselves that much more. They're reserving for themselves a seat for destruction. And the irony of sinful living, which is true for all of us, not just for uh, false teachers, is that temporary sinful pleasures, temporary sinful pleasures, if you and I pursue those things, dabble in those things, it, it earns then a terrible eternal punishment. We understand a part of that again, in the natural sense. What we think initially like, oh, this is good. This is going to be so great. This is going to give me a lot of pleasure. I remember having the same mindset when I was in college and go out and party and get drunk and get wasted. And, And yet that very short lived euphoria replaced by feelings of sickness and of regret. Like we understand the natural. I mean, it doesn't have to be that extreme. Sometimes it can just be somewhat innocuous. Have you, have you ever eaten too much sugar? I mean, just that, like initially, like, oh, this is yummy. This is good. And that, but that same source of indulgence becomes the very thing that inflicts us. Uh, last night, Ben and I went and got the new Starbucks Boo Frappuccino. It is super sweet. I, anyways, that happened to me. I'm like, oh, this is going to be my illustration tomorrow. I drank, I'm like, oh, yummy initially. But then I thought, I feel terrible. I could feel the sugar pulsing through my veins. (laughs) We understand in the natural, the very thing that we think is going to be great. I mean, the Bible even says there's, there's pleasure in sin for a season, but really the end thereof is death. They're being corrupted by their own corruption, but notice they they promote and they parade in their sin and their stupidity. Peter says they carouse it's the idea again, your Bible might say revel, they're parading in their sin. They don't just present it as acceptable as okay now now it just becomes uh again not just what society does, the culture around us, we should expect that from the culture, but they're, they're trying to bring it into the church. And notice the phrase he says, and they count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime, in the daytime. The idea of that is that there's no shame. Maybe you heard the same before, like nothing good happens after midnight. Right. O- often it sinful and mm, ungodly things happen in the evening in dark times the bible even talks about how you know people love the darkness cuz it hides their sin but peter paints this picture where uh they, there's not even shame they just do it in the daytime out in the broad daylight out in the open where everybody can see and the idea is they don't care they have no consciousness. So they, they have no conviction there. There's no shame. And I mean, that, that's the world today. And I have to tell you, you you scroll through news, you watch, we we live in a world where people increasingly are unashamed of their uh, depraved, sinful lifestyle and pursuits. It's no longer done in darkness. It's no longer done kind of, you know, in a, in a, in a a designated place. It it, now it's just done out in the daytime. It's being broadcasted and it's so sad. And you know, the world that uh, our kids are growing up today is not the same as when I was a kid. And when you were like, you know, it's changed drastically. And increasingly there's no, shame uh, of sin and depravity, but rather what's happening. What do we see? It's promoted. It's paraded. uh, And and now even in in our schools and society, it's being prescribed, right? It's being force fed to our kids. The homosexual trans agenda, it's being force fed to our kids. The ignorance of entire people group, who are not rational, who've lost sensibility to acknowledge that killing of a baby inside and outside of the womb abort. It's wrong. The taking of life is wrong. And and they just try to sweep it away, deny the truth. And, And more and more we, you know, these, it's these ungodly ideologies and teachings that are finding acceptance and finding a place and a home and even promotion within the church. Uh, Under the banner uh, really of this twisted definition of God's love of God's acceptance. And, And what is, what's Peter's commentary on that? He says there are spots and there are blemishes their spots and their blemishes carousing in their own deception. And notice he says, while they feast with you. So it's not just the world. It, it it's, you know, the church has been infiltrated and the idea of, of spots and blemishes. It's the idea that spiritually they're, they're filthy. They're unclean. They're dirty. It's the exact opposite of what he described Jesus back in chapter one in verse 19, where he says, and you and I have been redeemed with the precious blood uh, as a lamb unblemished without spot by the blood of Jesus Christ to whom then you and I are called then to emulate in Ephesians 527, Paul says then having speaking of us having no spot or blemish or wrinkle or any such things that were to pursue than holiness and being above reproach and living blameless. That, that, that's, that's the path and the pursuit that God has for us. But it, it's this group, it's these teachers who, again, notice they're governed by their flesh and they're self delusional. And so it, they're promoting and often living themselves a sinful lifestyle and promoting it and saying, oh, well, God's God's okay with me. This is how God made me. And so he's okay with that. That's the idea. They feast with you. Meaning that they're seeking to look like us and to gain access and share. And as I noted before they're you know, they, they appear normal. I'm not walking around with a name tag, you know, I don't, I don't try to think Enrique, you know, heretic, right? Like that Seem really spiritual on the outside, but again, you peek into their life and they operate in a very different way. And, and what's one of the ways that they operate. That's very different. Verse 14 says they have eyes full of adultery they cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. Like, all right, Peter, tell us what you really think. Right? <laughs> I'm like, man. What's one big aspect again, as we consider some of these characteristics, well, one of them is sexual immorality. It's a hallmark of their behavior. I mean, how many so-called spiritual religious leaders uh, have we seen in our lifetime that have been found guilty of unspeakable, sexual, immoral behavior? And then try to justify it. I mean, that's one of the hallmarks. And the other notice is they often prey upon the innocent. They, They exploit and they take advantage of the vulnerable. That's the idea of unstable souls. We we back in verses one through eleven. That was one of the characteristics that Peter said, right? He they seek to exploit us. Like right? it's for their gain, at your expense, at your sacrifice that they pad their pockets and their platforms. Unstable souls mean folks who are in life storms or under the duress of trouble. It's people who are, who are vulnerable and these charlatans, these wolves come in and they, they exploit them. They take advantage of people in vulnerable situations, terrible. they're, They're going to give an account before the Lord as we read. What else? Verse 15 through 16. He says, they've forsaken the right way. They've gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice constrained the madness of the prophet. And so Peter goes on and he characterizes them again. They've gone their own way. They've forsaken the right way. That means they've gone the wrong way. And then he reaches back into the old Testament and references this old Testament prophet by the name of Balaam. Do you guys know who Balaam is? If you don't know, I encourage you to go read about it. Numbers chapter 23 through 24. It's a really interesting account. Of course, encouraging to me. Cause if, if God can use a donkey to speak, then I feel like, all right, you know, I'm in that category. But basically Balaam was this prophet. And what we find out here is, well, he, he loved money. Uh, unrighteous. Um, what do you call it? The wages of unrighteousness. And so he tried to pad his pockets like these false teachers often do. And, and he tried to do it though, with this enemy King by the name of King Balak and King Balak, uh, you know, saw his ad and said, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll pay you for your side hustle. I want to, I'm going to pay you so that you can curse God's people. And, and, and Balaam, Balaam said, okay, yeah, I'll do that. But he, he, offered what he couldn't deliver, took the money, but he couldn't do what he said he could do because God wouldn't let him. First of all, right. He wasn't able to curse the people of God. He wanted a pile of cash. And, and along the way, as we read supernaturally, God caused his donkey to start speaking. It's even before Shrek, right? <laughs> and, and the donkey rebuked him. Again, fascinating in company, but Peter uses that as illustration of the, this false, this prophet who, who um, wanted to pad his pockets and all just for money. To say whatever he, anybody wanted him to say, just so that he could get rich off that. And, and again, it's, it's, it's a characteristic. Uh, that often we find with false teachers, they have an overemphasis on money. Right? There's an overemphasis on finances, especially that you should give to them and you should give to their ministry. And then without, you know, then uh, you know, God as though God's broke, and and sadly, it's very manipulative. They manipulate God's people into giving through guilt, through the promise of God's blessing, through the promise of God's healing. Now, please understand there there is a place for us to steward God's blessings. And um, the Lord had a lot to say about money and its place in our life and its place within our faith. And, and, you know, if you've been around for a while, you know, like I, we don't, I don't like to talk about it. Like I, even for me as a young Christian, even before I was a Christian, I watched Channel 40 in Southern Cal and be like, what are these guys crazy? And it just gave me a great distaste, right? Because they misrepresented the heart of God. Uh, But there's an appropriateness, uh, you know, and I think it's important for us to understand God's view of money and the expectation that he has for us that we wouldn't be greedy, right? It's the love of money. That's the root of all evil and that we would invest in the things of God. But all that to say the emphasis here, though, is the idea that they, they, they are uh, consumed by it. There's a, an overemphasis, every message, right? As though every application is you need to give more. So that's another descriptor. What else does he say? Verse 17. He says, There are wells without water, clouds carried about by a tempest for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Gosh, those are, those are heavy words. He says, for when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure, they allure. There's a lure there. There's a lure through what? Through lust. How are they luring? How do they want to lure us? Well, through our lust, the lust of the flesh, through lewdness. That's the idea through sin. The ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error, while they promise them liberty. They themselves are slaves of corruption for by whom a person is overcome by him. He's also brought into bondage. And so there's a lot that Peter is describing there. He describes them as, as wells without water. It's just a hole. <laughs> that, what is a well without water? It's a hole. They're clouds carried by, by tempest. And it's the idea that they're, they're just moving along, but they provide no sustenance. I and mean, then he explains more of it in verse 18. They just make big promises, big claims They do not deliver. They do not keep them. And all of it's just hot air. That's the idea. It's just talk. It's just rhetoric. About fulfillment, about freedom, about being satisfied, about identity, being your true self. And what does he say? Peter says, they lure, they try to lure us. They lure people Through appealing to lust. Lewdness. And the idea is that saying, Oh, God's okay with that. God's okay with your sin. You can still do the things that you do. Listen, the gospel teaches us that God loves us. He does accept us as we are. It's the wrong notion to think, well, I got to go clean up my life. And then after I'm cleaned up, then I'll come to God. No, God says, hey, I'll take you as you are. I, You know, we can't fool him. He knows. But the love of God continues that he doesn't let us continue as we were. That his spirit comes inside and begins to work in us through the inside out. Or then all of a sudden my my desires change and my appetite for the things that used to satisfy my flesh begins to change. And so yes, God accepts us as we are, but he doesn't leave us as we are. Grace in the gospel isn't permission that we'll continue to live in sin. It's true freedom that we've been set free from that. I no longer have to be in bondage to those things. And yet false teachers again, uh, provide the opposite. They're promising the opposite. Oh, you can be free. You can do whatever you want, but it's false. It's the very thing they're promising really is that those people remain in bondage. Peter says they themselves, they're promising something that they themselves don't even have. And so false teachers, again, can be very dynamic, eloquent speakers, Great rhetoric, but they have no real biblical substance to their content. They're impressive. They're dynamic. They can play upon emotions. And so the application for us, he doesn't tell us, but again, it's for us to be aware, be be careful. We don't want to be overly impressed with lofty, lofty religious orations. Listen again, don't, don't get me wrong. There, there are some Bible teachers that are dynamic and they're gifted and God has blessed them and I envy them. Those that know the word and teach solidly and they have this, this amazing gift of teaching. But we have to remember though, the content is the key, right? Character is important, not the, not the charisma, not the packaging. The packaging and the delivery can be really impressive. But the question is what, what's on the inside? What, what's being delivered? What's being espoused? What's being exposited? What, what's the substance of this? That's the question we need to ask. Is this biblical? Remember Paul, the apostle, arguably one of the greatest theologians, I mean, aside from Jesus himself, that God would use, uh, he was well-educated. And he, and he writes to the Corinthians and he says, You know, my, my heart wasn't to wow you with my uh, oratory ability. Right? The Greeks were really impressed with that. They loved, they had their own form of TED Talks, they loved it. But Paul says, No, I just wanted to bring you just simply Jesus Christ and him crucified. I just want to express truth plainly, not to impress the audience, but to, to express truth, to explain truth. And so there's a difference, right? There's a difference between gifted communication and uh, slick manipulation. And it'd be good for us to know the difference. Because what does Peter says? His commentary on all of it, the promises, they speak great where their wells, all of it, what does it mean? It just means it's empty. That's the idea. It's empty. It's all show. It's all air. As I noted before, it's like cotton candy. Or remember when you were younger, if you ever got, um, if your family ever did Easter baskets and there'd be a chocolate bunny. Back in my day, if you bit into that thing, it would, it would implode. You know what I'm talking about? Like you bit the ear and the whole thing would just crumble in itself. It's like deceptive. It's hollow. Now I'm not a discriminator of chocolate. So if it came in whatever form I eat it, <laughs> but that's the idea. That's the imagery. It looks solid. It looks good, but you take a bite and it's hollow. It's empty. There's no substance. It's a lot of grandiose rhetoric. Sounds scholarly, but it's nothing. Now here, here's, you ever, you ever heard teaching like that? Uh, it's all fluff and puff, right? It's just, it's a lot of, it's a lot of words. It's a lot of words. It's razzle dazzle. I've heard teaching like that. I'm like waiting for the, con- I'm waiting for the point sometimes. I'm waiting for the substance. And I don't know about you, but I, I know what happens to me. I feel malnourished. Right? There's a part of me that feels cheated. Like I gave 30 minutes to this or 40 minutes to this. Like God has placed in us. Hopefully you have this desire and, and, I'm, and I'm blessed that you're here. We talked about last week, right? Enduring sound doctrine. Like we, there's a, if you're, if the spirit of God is in us, we should just be desiring the milk of God's word. And as we grow, right? The meat, right? The milk and the meat of the word of God. And, and, and that's what satisfies our soul. And if we don't get that, what happens? Well, we leave lacking, right? It's almost like you, you go to a place and you have this fancy meal, but it's like little, it's just like these little things. And you're like, what? We're, let's go to McDonald's after, right? You know, <laughs> just simple. Gotta do second dinner. Cause that was a waste. King, okay, Listen, if, if you're getting spiritually fed through simple, solid Bible teaching, that's a gift. That is, that is to be valued much better than flashy sermonettes with fog machines. Don't cheat yourself. You know, Charles Spurgeon said, a time will come instead of shepherds feeding the sheep, the church will have clowns entertaining the goats. A powerful quote, isn't it? Let's move on. So they're inflated, lofty, empty promises. They don't result in real liberty or freedom. What does he say? Verse 20 through 22. For if after they've escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it than the turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb. A dog returns to its own vomit and a sow or a pig having washed to her wallowing in the mire. This last portion, really interesting, a little bit of a a challenging commentary that Peter presents. First, we have to quickly decipher who's they. Is Peter talking about the people being deceived or is he talking about the deceivers? I submit to you that he's talking about the deceivers, the false teachers, that they themselves at one point Exposed to the truth. What does it mean that they escaped the pollutions of this world? That they have escaped the pollutions to the knowledge of Jesus, but entangled themselves again, better that they wouldn't know in the first place. Uh, You know, some one thought is like, were, were they saved at one point? Did they come into the household of faith? They walked with the Lord and knew the Lord claimed Jesus to be their savior. And then all of a sudden they departed from the faith. You know, they, they fell away. They deconstructed their faith and now they're teaching heresy. I want to submit to you that the picture that Peter is painting here about the false teachers is that at some point they were uh, exposed to the gospel that they did initially show interest. They were in involved in that environment, but the difference I want to submit to you is that they were never truly saved. They were informed, but they weren't transformed. They had the appearance of spirituality, right? they had the, the form of godliness as Paul talks about, but, but deny the power thereof. They're in church. They're around believers, but yet came to the point where they didn't receive the Lord. They rejected the truth, took what they heard intellectually, repackaged it and then left and now peddling a false brand And Peter says, that state's worse because now they have knowledge of truth. They've heard the gospel. They have a greater accountability now to the Lord. That's one idea of it. And and the danger there, because sometimes if you know people like that, you try to talk to them on what it means to follow the Lord. Sometimes the response is, yeah, I've done that. I tried it. it. Didn't work for me. Three quick things. I think that Peter helps us to understand what's happening here. The idea that they escape pollutions is the, it's different phrasing, right? We've escaped corruption. And so the the idea of pollution indicates external. So it's just an external change, initial. That they entangle themselves in the world again, conveys the idea of being intertwined. They're blended with the defilements and it's not accidental. It's not like they were walking along and they stumbled. It's not subtle. The, la- the language conveys an intentionality. They, they departed and they ran to and they embraced sin. And the fact that he uses this proverb, the idea that dogs go back to their vomit, which kind of gross, right? But I, anybody here, dog owners, like I had the world's greatest dog before he passed away. But even in his greatness, there are times where you know, he'd be eating something weird and throw up. And he'd go back. I'm like, "What are you doing? It's gross!" You know, you have to pull him Or pigs that wallow in their mud. And the idea is, I understand that true believers are never we're never we're never likened to dogs or swine. We're likened to sheep. <laughs> and so here, here's where we we'll land. The point of all of this, we have to take these warnings seriously. Peter paints this picture to say false teachers are not merely misinformed good intentioned Christians that just have bad Intel. He says, no, they they're dangerous wolves and they will destroy the God, the the flock of God. They're not saved. They pretend to be saved. They have a knowledge of, uh, of the concept of salvation as Peter says, they'd be better for them. than you not to know that, but they have returned to an immoral lifestyle and they wallow in it. And what makes it worse is that they now become the teachers and say, Hey, come wallow in this sin with me. And so application for us after all of that, be aware, be informed. Don't get duped. Peter will bring us into application in in chapter three, but we'll leave it there. Sound good? All right. Father, thank you again for your word. A lot going on. Again, I trust that these things are preparatory for us in our hearts, especially we're living in, as the word says, in the last days where many will be deceived. The, The love of many will wax cold. False teachings, false Christs, a false spirituality. The enemy will ramp up just the sowing of counterfeits. And so Lord, we, we want to be wise. We don't have to walk in fear. We don't have to be side-eyed and skeptical of everybody, but Lord, we want to be discerning to see these things as they are and that we would stay far away. And so Lord, thank you for equipping us this day. Thank you for your word. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.